Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Undiscovered You, a podcast for people who feel like they have so much more to offer, but are somehow stuck where they are. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnston, and this season, we're speaking all about playing the hand you're dealt. I'm extremely excited to have Ali Correal with us today. So Ali is a woman empowerment coach, and she's here to share a bit about her story. Hi, Ali. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and you? Doing very well. Thanks so much for coming on today. So one of my first questions for you is, what exactly is a women empowerment coach? What is that? So imagine um, a clay, right? As we start peeling the layers off that clay, you start seeing a beautiful golden statue. And basically with women empowerment, what we do is basically discover your true light, what it makes you you. Um, What I've seen is that most women have these layers of programming from when they they start from when they're young and all the way they're they're not they don't speak up they don't allow their true self to come up so what we do once they discover that there's so much to them and they they're stuck that they don't they're not moving forward in their life in their career or relationships is figuring out exactly what is that programming that is stopping them from moving forward so we start chipping away the claim seeing what that golden statue is so that they can start feeling their, who they are and finding out who they really are. Hmm. And it's interesting that it's, it's women empowerment coaching. So do you think that this is something that affects women more than men? Do you think it affects people equally or are you just focused on women yourself? Well, it's, it's funny that you say that because I've had men come to me for coaching And I've discovered that men go through that as well. Mm. The reason why I've been focusing more on women is, as we see nowadays, there's a glass ceiling of women leaders. And the idea is that to empower more women to to actually find their true self and not necessarily being like a CEO position, but being able to allow themselves to be who they are without having that barrier and being Mm. able to to move forward if they have something they really want to fight for, not being afraid to do so. But I would say that, as I said before, is I've had men come up to me because they also have so many layers of programming that they, they, they're stuck. So in a way, I would say that both men and women have those layers, but women more so because of because and it comes back to to years and years of programming of what is the role of women versus what is the role of men. Mm. And there's also societal things that are built within society that cause that as well. So there's the barriers in society in addition to those layers of programming, as you say, that we build up within ourselves. And I think it's interesting when I'm coaching men as well. I remember being absolutely shocked the first time a guy told me that he had imposter syndrome. Because for me, I thought that was just a female thing. And it was very much, no, I, you know, I, I have, I don't have confidence. I really want to build that up. That's something I really want to work on. And I had no poker face at that time because I was like, wait, what men? Are you serious? So I find it really interesting where sometimes 
things that we we think of and attribute to women are also mm-hmm. affecting men, but agree that society is set up in such a way that, you know, there are barriers to entry that exist mm-hmm. for women more so than men. And so being able to deal with those barriers and also peeling back those layers, I can imagine is really helpful. Mm-hmm. So this is an incredibly interesting kind of area of, of coaching. It's, it's, you know, quite, quite a niche area. What is it like, is, why is this important to you? Is this, has something kind of happened to you? Is something, you know, transpired in your life that's led you to, to kind of follow this passion of coaching? Yes, actually, um, I can say that it goes back from, to the point when I was a young girl, I was, I was programmed um, in a way to believe that I was naive that I was too nice. And because I identified with that, like from society and from my, even my own family telling me that, that I didn't have a strong confidence in myself. My self-esteem was very low. So I did go into, into certain situations or I faced certain situations growing up where it just was a cycle of, of people either taking advantage of me or not being as popular, uh, where, whether it was in, in school or in high school, that it just affected me so much that as I grew, as I, as I started um, growing up, I, I knew that I just, I couldn't stand up for myself. Mm. So people would tell me, but why are you not standing up for certain things? Like you, you can't let people just run you over. But I just didn't have it in me or the confidence to just simply say, stop, you know, it's enough. You know, you have to respect me. That wasn't in me. And so as I started, as I came to the United States and and went to university, that's when I started realizing a little bit more of who I was. Although I went into a relationship where all those, um, they're not good enough. I felt within this relationship and over and over, I, I, I just allowed certain situations. I never had limitations on what was right and what was wrong. I thought it was just, you know, he's, um, I was, I was dating this guy who I thought was my ideal guy, right? He, he was um, everything that I imagined, but the relationship was not healthy. He, mm-hmm. he always told me that I was not trusting, that I was very, a very jealous kind of person. And he never, he told me he didn't really like to go out with me because I would just be very jealous and very possessive. And he, he just didn't feel like he could be with, around me, but we, we lasted for a very long time and I never spoke up. And when I spoke, I was like, I was just being a crazy, just a psychotic woman. And I just didn't. I, I felt so locked up um, in this relationship where I was not able to be myself. And I had this belief that I was not good enough, that I was not pretty enough, that I was lucky to be with this guy. Um, and so when I, when actually um, we got separated, that's when I realized, you know, there's more to me than just this. I don't deserve this. And it's just like a layer, one layer came off. Um, although I should say that while I was in this relationship, I started getting more into fitness and I fell in love with fitness. And that was my escape, um, Mm -hmm. where I was teaching classes, uh, group fitness classes that I, I felt myself being alive. Mm -hmm. Um, I would go home and it was just like shutting me down. Once I was at the gym, I was a completely different person. 
people liked me I and people wanted to hang out with me but then I would be home and it was just like a blocked up right so mm. when I got divorced um, when we got separated and then divorced that's when I just felt like I could be just me um, and then I could make decisions like I decided to move to Miami because Nebraska was just I just felt you know it was too much it was the the reminder of of years of being with someone that just did not allow it, it wasn't like he didn't allow me it was like I felt trapped because whatever I would say wasn't wasn't okay so when I moved to Miami, I was able to be me. And that's when I, I actually discovered the, the Simply Woman Accredited Training, the Women Empowerment Coaching. And that was like one of the, th- I went through the whole journey and studying and actually chipping all those layers. And that's when I started discovering more about this. I, I discovered it in fitness, but more so when I started studying and, and getting more into empowerment coaching that, wow, it was just, I just realized, you know, there was so much and so many toxic relationships that I had been and, um, and situations that I faced through high school that just, it was not okay that I just did. I should have had a little bit more confidence in myself to step up and say, no, this is not okay. And what's really interesting about your story, Ali, is it's definitely not unique to you. And I think that's (laughs) why you're able to coach other people around it. But for listeners who might be listening, who this just massively resonated with them, they feel that they recognize, you know, when they go out with their friends, they're one person. And then when they're with the relationship, they're another, or their friends might be the one that's doing this to them. And they feel shut down with their friends, but when they're by themselves or with a different group of friends, you know, they feel differently. So for our listeners who are listening, um, what are some kind of top tips or what are some things that they can start to do on this self-realization journey? in order to get themselves into a place where they can acknowledge this and deal with it? One thing is being very aware of your emotions. Because sometimes when you're around people, there's triggers. When mm-hmm. someone shuts you down, there'll be a trigger within your body, emotional trigger that that will be like not feel right. It's not in alignment with how you feel. And so you, you feel shut down. So once you feel that, take knowledge, acknowledge that, and then start writing down, how did I feel? Why did I feel this way? And start becoming more aware of how you feel in certain situations. And when you have a trigger, like when someone makes you mad, why does that make you mad? When someone um, says something to you, let's say they call you, oh, you're, you're stupid. And then this is horrible, but you know, you hear that. Why does that, that specific word uh, triggers you? And it's just finding those triggers to a point that you are able to acknowledge that, yeah, they're triggering you and where it comes from. So once you start acknowledging your emotions, becoming more, more in tune with that, that's when you can start making a shift. It, it's, for instance, if someone calls you, for women, right? If someone calls you fat, why does it trigger you, Right. Because if you know that you feel good about yourself, that that word shouldn't trigger you at all. So it's becoming more um, where you're able to look in the mirror and tell and say that. And that's one um, homework I have some of my clients do is look at themselves in the mirror. And one thing it's, I mean, and and it could be uh, potentially um, hurtful is to call yourself the trigger word. 
Mm. for a few times, obviously not the whole day, because you don't want to reprogram yourself to believe that word. But it's, it's, it's how does that trigger you? And then allowing that word not to give not to give that power a word anymore. And how you can start loving yourself more. So the mirror work is amazing. Because once you say, let's say that I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat. And then you say, you know, it doesn't hurt me anymore, because I, I don't believe it in me then call yourself, I love you. Tell yourself, I love you very, very much. And, and this is something that I learned from Louise Hayes, that she used that as, a, as an exercise for women to, or men to start caring more about themselves and loving themselves a little bit more. So once you start shifting the words and shifting those emotions towards yourself, that's when start, change can start happening. Mm. And I think I, I feel uncomfortable just even hearing that, thinking about standing in the mirror and saying, you know, I love you to myself feels really uncomfortable. So I can imagine that that would have a huge emotional shift within you if you're able to do that. And, you know, I talk a lot to my clients about kind of that voice in their head because we all have it. And a lot of times that is what's driving you to do so much is that voice. And one of the things I do with, with them, with my, my clients is to have them name the voice mm -hmm. and just tell them to shut up. Anytime they start talking, be like, no, I got this, you know, whatever the name is, you know, Bobby, Bobby, I got this, whatever it is. And, um, and so kind of having that, I think Billy Bob was always the example I gave, which I always find funny, but anyway, so Billy Bob, I got this. <laughs> And it's kind of allowing yourself to create those new thought patterns and that new internal monologue. And I like the kind of addition of that, of having that time in the mirror to recognize it. And it reminds me of a story. So um, I'm, I went through a time where I was, something happened and I put on some weight and I was in front of the mirror and I was standing there. I was like, oh, I'm so fat. And my husband literally turned around and looked at me. He's like, will you please stop calling my wife fat? And I was like, oh, I, damn. <laughs> I love that. I I love and I was that. like, I was like, yeah, I do. I need to stop calling your wife fat. It's not, I mean, it's not about, yeah. And it's sort of that, you know, kind of recognizing it in yourself and the beauty in yourself. And I, and I really like that. Um, so, so tell me a bit about kind of your journey on this then. So this, you know, the, the podcast is about this, this whole season is about playing the hand you're dealt. So you're talking about this relationship and it sounds to me like this relationship was actually a massive catalyst in your life to change. And so can you tell me a bit about, you, you know, you said, you said you, you were together for a while and then you said you got divorced. I'm assuming you got married somewhere in there and saying you dated <laughs> and got married and kind of how, how did that change your life? How did that, that card that you were dealt of this relationship and continuing in a relationship that you now recognize was quite destructive to you. How did you deal with that? So, okay. So let's go back a little bit. Um, when I, um, we got married, uh, we actually dated for eight years. Uh, wow. So it was, we dated for, for a long time. The last year when I, I, I told him we, we have to make a decision whether we, we get married um, or not. And so he said, no, let's, you know, sure. That's the next step. Why not? Romantic. <laughs> yeah. Very romantic. <laughs> it wasn't like I had a, and he actually proposed there was no romantic, uh, there's romance there. It was more, mm. um, and I will be honest, the re one of the reasons why we moved on with the marriage is because he actually was, he's, 
his job um, was sponsoring his uh, permanent residency. Mm. So we figure, you know, we need to do this a little bit quicker. I mean, even though we we had been dating for eight years, it wasn't like we just we just met each other. Yeah. Um, so, but the lawyer said you you it's better if you're married before you start the permanent residency process because that way she'll she'll be um, she'll be given that residency right at the same time as you, mm. so she mm. doesn't have to wait because if you get married and then you have to go through the whole process of applying for her residency and there's more to it. So the lawyer advised since we saw each other being together forever or in my eyes at least <laughs> um we just we we made that decision but the year that we were actually going on because my my family was going to pay for our, our catholic wedding going mm. into the church and all and doing the party in colombia all that we got married in august and then the party was in somewhere in in january february um but i remember through that period I had a friend come up to me and say, um, you know, I just want to be honest with you. And she was my best friend. I just want to be honest with you. Um, he was it's her boyfriend at the time, or I think our ex-boyfriend saw him at a, at a club and he was talking to other girls. But the thing is that always people told me those things, but they never really told me what he actually did because mm. they didn't want to hurt me. Mm. Uh, but I just had a feeling, you know, this is, this doesn't feel right. And she's like, you know, I, as a friend, are you sure you want to, to go on with this wedding? And I'm like, you know, I was thinking, and this is what happens to women. My parents have been paying for this. Yeah. They've been preparing, they've been sending the invitations. Uh, you know, I have to do this. Mm. I can't just back up. And so I was still hesitant the way the day of my wedding, um, you know, when I call it, I talk about alignment and triggers. Mm. It wasn't necessarily the happiest day of my life. Mm. He was, he had a friend, all of my family was there. So it was great. But he had a friend who came over, just one friend because his parents couldn't make it and other people couldn't make it to Colombia. So he had a friend there, but he spent the whole time with his friend. Like imagine a wedding that we're supposed to be together. It's the, the happiest day of your life, but he was with his friend and in the hotel. So we stayed the night, whatever in the, in that hotel where we had the party. And uh, I just wanted to call my mom. I just wanted my parents and my family to come over mm. to the hotel. So we could, so I could hang out with them. So I wouldn't be so lonely. Mm. Um, and that's when I'm like, that's when I like that, like that, um, that voice, that little voice was telling me, you know, you're not happy. Why are you doing this? But you've already married. So, you know, what can you do? So, so that was kind of the first sign. Then um, I think a few months later, a, or was it a, a year? Like I will, it was, I think a year passed. I don't know. Um, I got pregnant and the first thing that came out of my mouth, literally, is like, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? And he's like, what happened? And I'm like, oh, I'm pregnant. And he's like, oh, isn't it supposed to be like hap the, your happiest day of your life? And it's like, sure, of course. Yes, it's just I just felt a little bit. Um, yeah, unease, but <laughs> whatever. A, a, a kid is welcome. So. 
12, I, I was not able to see a doctor for a while. The, my doctor, the, she was having a baby, but then she had some issues. So I couldn't see a, a, a doctor until like 12 weeks into it. Mm. When she did that echo, the, 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 it wasn't yeah. an ultrasound. It was just a little one where they can hear just the heartbeat. Heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the little yeah. wand thing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, she didn't hear a heartbeat. So she said, well, you have to come back for an ultrasound. Mm. It's like, it, it probably is okay. You know, I, I mean, it, is, it was 12 weeks, so it was supposed to be a little bit big, right? Um, and she's like, it's probably okay. Maybe the baby's hiding somewhere and we cannot find the baby. And um, so I went to get the ultrasound and there was nothing like literally it was just like a, like they said it was just a, a tiny little, it, like it got to the five weeks. And the moment that it was going to be on the sixth week, there was no, the, the heart didn't develop. So it was just a dead thing. Um, so obviously it was shocking for me. It was really sad, but in a way it was a blessing in disguise mm. because I just, I felt I re- like I was relieved in a way. Mm. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's very weird. Like most people would just be, I was in shock obviously because I was excited about a baby, but then at the same time it was, I was relieved. And that summer, because I, we found out in May, he went in the summer to Russia. I wanted he, my mom, my mom was like, you should be going to Russia with him. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's, it's okay. He can go to Russia by himself. I don't care. And, um, I just, it was just felt so good not having to worry about him going out with his friends, uh, staying up until very late and like thinking if he's cheating on me or not. I was just, and then he came home and I, um, I started, I asked him about separation. He's like, do you believe in separation? And he's like, why are you thinking about it? And I'm like, to be honest, yes. Cause I think that we're not connecting at some, we were not, we were not connecting. And I think that was something awakening me that I deserved more. I didn't deserve to be in a relationship where a, that I just was always worried in the weekends, whether he was going to go out, where he was going to be with his friends. Some of his comments he would make about, you know, like his friends saying, because he was, it's, it's a different culture. Uh, even though he's Russian, he's, his friends were from Tajikistan, so the Muslim oriented. So they had a different view. Um, when he was gone, I saw his friends going out and, and partying with women. And I saw one of them and all of them are married, were married. And I even saw one of them kissing another girl. And I'm like, if, if that's how they behave when, when I'm not around or when I'm around, imagine how they, he would behave when I'm an hour around. Mm. Um, and he was mad because I went out with his friends and uh, why was I hanging out with his friends and at the same party? Um, so I was like, well, I, in that, it gave me the sign that he just was trying to um, also, he was masking his true self. So I wouldn't see it because he was not happy. The truth is, I just don't think he got married for the right reasons. I think he just got married. And even he says he just got married because I pressured him. Mm -hmm. But he could have he had the choice. Um, And we both had a choice. I can't put it all on him because I had a choice too. I could have stopped it. But I think it just takes some time to open your eyes to really see um, the true situation and what you really deserve. And that's that I think, I believe that that's what happened to me with situation over situation that as I grew older too, I, I matured more about 
you, what is it that I want? Mm -hmm. And um, I feel that that's what I just, the fact that we, we went through this, there was a relief because I, I was not happy in the relationship. So when we said, call it quits, for me, it was definitely, that's it. I don't, the separation is going to go into divorce. Even though he put it all like, if, if we get separated, we're never going to get back. But for me, it was the same. I never thought of like, we were going back. For me, I was done with the relationship. I was really ready just to start fresh, start new and to start focusing on me, on, on what I want out of my life. And so it was just that, that next step was as I started discovering more things about me and what, and Miami was, I want to move somewhere. Well, actually the, the funny thing is that it was because of a guy that he <laughs> realized, why am I here? He told me he, there was a guy I met. He's like, well, he was just in transition. Like he was in Nebraska and then he was going to California. And he asked me the question, why are you staying in Nebraska? There's nothing to do in Nebraska. Why are you staying here? There's more out there for you. And that, that was like the, a, another sign for me is I need, yes, why am I staying here? I don't have any family here. All of my family is either in Colombia or my sister was moving to Miami. Um, and so, um, and so I was like, then I must, I, I need to make that, I need to make a change. I, I, the weather was really bad in, in Nebraska. It was like winter and I just was too cold. And I was like, you know, I'm done. <laughs> I am done. And my sister actually, um, she said, you know, if, if you want to move somewhere, why don't you move to Miami and I'll help you get started. Even though I didn't have a job, I didn't know, I didn't have any money because I was, uh, I was barely making it in the job that I had, I was barely making it, but I was like, it doesn't matter. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll know that I'll have the resources and things will start working out the way they need to. And, um, and that's when I moved to Miami and that's when, you know, the change happened. What I think is really interesting, Allie, is the amount of limiting beliefs that you had set in stone in your head. And I think it's something that's really important for listeners to think about is what are their limiting beliefs that they have? So for instance, I can't call this wedding off and it's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of money, time, social pressure, all of those things invested in it, but actually you can but we tell ourselves we can't. And then, you know, I have to get married and, you know, I have to stay with this guy, et cetera. But what's really interesting also is um, when, when you don't have that open communication with the other person, you feel like you can't be your authentic self. You feel like they can't be their authentic self. And so if you are in a relationship where that, if this is echoing to whoever the listener is, is listening and you're thinking, gosh, this sounds so much like my relationship. I would challenge you to find a way to have that open communication and to just ask the questions that might hurt, ask the questions that, you know, be true to yourself and say, you know, I feel like this. And, and I think you very maturely said, you know, I could have, I could have not gone through with it. I know I did. I pressure him, you know, it was, it was on me as well, kind of, and it's really important to take that accountability as well. But I think just have those open, honest you know, adult to adult conversations with people. And a lot of what you're talking about, um, there's a book by Martha Beck called The Way of Integrity. 
Um, and she talks a lot about, so it's, um, it's the divine comedy. She walks through the divine comedy and talks about um, Dante's Inferno and the different levels of hell and, you know, trying to, trying to get into to the quote unquote heaven and what that looks like. And it's, it's an interesting book, but a lot of what she talks about uh, is very much similar to what you are saying in terms of what are those triggers? So often when you, when you react massively to something, so you know, the, the example I always give is with my kids, you know, something will happen and I will blow up. And one day I'm totally fine with it. One day there's paint all over the walls because Maddie has done something and she's, she's, you know, painted the walls with her hands. And then the next day there'll be like a little bit of marker that's on a rug and I will freak out about it. And it's kind of like, okay, so what is the story there? Why is it that one day I'm completely triggered and one day I'm not? And what she talks about, she says, walk back from the trigger the same way that you would if you were an FBI agent and you were trying to get information about a specific crime or day or whatever it is. Start walking back and then finding what that trigger is. Because a lot of times it has nothing to do with the paint on the wall. Mm -hmm. It has to do with something that someone told you that triggered you. So if you have a trigger word from something in your past that you know you have this self-limiting belief and you're living with that self-limiting belief and someone says something, you may not even know that triggers you, but then five minutes later you explode at someone else. And it's actually because you were triggered by that, that word or that thought or whatever that, that is. So I love the parallels between the two of them that are, that are coming out here. Um, and what I'd love to hear from you is, so what happened? So you, you, you pick up, you have this kind of, you know, the, the hand that was dealt to you very much feels like you went into a relationship, you continued in that relationship, every, all the pressures from society to get married, all the pressures probably internally to get married, probably from family, friends, all the rest of it. You have a best friend who confronts you and says, you know, and you have some underlying feelings as well, and you decide to go forward with it. But then actually you have a po point in time where you say, I, this something needs to change and you have a big change and you move to Miami. Mm -hmm. So talk us through kind of what happens then in your life after you move to Miami. So um, it's, it's interesting when I was, um, you know, when they say that a storm comes and it just comes so strongly, then there's a change. Mm. Um, when I came to Miami, I actually, um, after like, um, a month or two months, I got into the a media advertising world. So I even came into a into a job that was even better than what I had before. Because um, I was in a in a in a job that I didn't even like in Nebraska. It was so it was uh, several things that were happening that I was like trying to keep three jobs so I could make my bills. And then I come here to Miami and I find a job that pays well and and also. Um, it's my uh, another way to get into the advertising world, which is what I got, which was what I was doing or I went to school for. Um, and so things start going much better in the sense that it's a different environment. Um, and I start making more friends. People actually at the work in six months, they start seeing uh, my true potential and I actually get promoted into a senior role mm. uh, because they saw what there was in me. And it took me forever <laughs> to find something that actually would value me. So not only was in the relationship, but also in my environment itself that I started seeing a shift. Uh, and in, in I, I got into coaching, although I was studying to be a coach and it took a, a little bit of time, but, um, but I also started 
training and 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 meeting other people. So I started so I started seeing more of me that the fact that I was able to to go to another state, drive all the way to from Nebraska to Miami, which is I a, would for, have. yeah, for anybody not not familiar with how far that is, that is a long drive. That's days. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So for me to have the courage, and, and it's funny, my um, uh, the founder of the SWAT Institute, she always asked that question, what would courage have me do? And that was what I, the fact that I was able to just pick up and drive all the way from Nebraska to Miami, that was a huge thing for me because I had never done it before. Um, and not having a plan, it was another uh, stepping stone towards a, a, a shift and, and having that courage to do something that I would not otherwise would have done. And, and being in, into an industry that I wanted that I went to school for, but I, and in Nebraska, there were very limited options. So here I had more options. So being in a company where I was able to ascend quickly and they, 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 they actually saw my value. And then meeting my husband was another thing that he was completely different from, from the Russian. <laughs> He's actually French. You like that, like the foreign nationals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Someone that, that actually values me and um, see my beauty. And as you said, it's like, he's the one who would like, you know, it doesn't matter how many pounds overweight after having kids, they, he doesn't care. And it's just like, you're beautiful. I'm like, really? I'm like, it's completely different. And um, just, just in, in overall, I feel like, because the moment that I made the decision to make a shift, that's when things started working for me. Mm. And I think that that's something that I tell my clients too, is the moment that you make a decision on what you want to accomplish or what you want to do, the resources will be presented to you. The reason why most people are afraid of making that decision is because they are putting those, as you said before, the limiting beliefs, because you haven't, and, um, you know, one of my mentors, uh, Buzz Bob Proctor, um, or I studied his material and I was, um, and one of the things he says is like, you're worried about something that you haven't made a decision yet. So until you make a decision, you'll see that everything will open up for you to start, to start working the way that you want to. And I think that, and I realized this through this journey is I, you know, a lot of people wouldn't make that change they wouldn't go from one state to another because they they want they dream of like making a change but they're so afraid because they don't know they're more afraid of what the what ifs instead of what actually would happen because you don't know right we don't know what are like uh, the unexpected right the and i don't know if you're familiar with dr joe dispenser but he talks about the unexpected right and the future the moment that you look forward the unexpected those when our miracles can happen mm. and i can say that that's what happened to me is is not allowing the fear to to get in the way but just making just just going with the flow mm. And allowing things to just present themselves to me. So the fact that moving to Miami, getting a better job and being, being promoted quickly within that job and meeting my husband and meeting friends, that 
otherwise, if I would, I would have just been in the, probably in the same cycle, if I wouldn't have made that decision. And, you know, this whole podcast is for people who feel like they're stuck and want to make a change. And I think a lot of people are stuck because of those limiting beliefs, because they're not taking that leap because they don't have the courage to do that because of the unknown. And I love that question. What would courage have me do? I've written that one down. I love that. And it's sort of what would courage have you do listener? What is it that you are not doing because you don't have the courage to. And one of the things I was chatting with um, my husband, we were, this is, we were talking about getting an electric car and we were saying, you know, technology is really changing. Should we lease a car? And I was like, well, my family, we've always bought cars. And the reason that we always bought cars is because if everything goes to pot and you lose your house, you lose everything, you can always live in your car. Okay. That literally, that's my reasoning. Okay. And my husband was like, you have so many friends. We have so much family. Like why, why would we be living in a car? You know? And it's like, it could be, it could be that that could be your situation. You have no friends, no family, no support system, and you need to buy a car so that you can live in the car if you need to. But he's like, that is a limiting belief that you have because that's not going to happen to you specifically. It could happen to somebody else, but you are living with this weird limiting belief. So you won't lease a car because you want to own a it's just, and it's one of those things. It's such a, it's such a strange example, but it's the kind of thing where you really need to take the time to think about what are your reasonings for not doing something? You know, is it because you're afraid of failure? Is it because society doesn't want you to do that? Is it because you feel like it's too much of a risk, you know? And if you let fear get in the way, you will be stuck forever. Mm -hmm. But I think you also need to have a dose of realism with things. So you had your sister in Miami. You had some kind of a support network. It wasn't like you picked up and moved to random city somewhere where you knew no one and <laughs> had no contacts. It's like be intelligent about the decisions that you're making and do some research and set yourself up for success before you go do them. But don't spend your whole life doing the research, setting yourself up for success and never actually jumping <laughs> Yeah, which is which is like I, I see that a lot of people do that they they spend too much time in the research phase mm -hmm. that there's and where all the indications show that no matter what you know even if it, things don't work out for them at least they 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 took that step because some something better is going to come along yeah. you know sometimes we will we'll, we'll take risk and everything we if you decide to take risk right. But who's to say that those risks are not the, the stepping stone towards something bigger? It's a learning opportunity where it'll just take you to a bigger, something much, even much better. There's a fabulous um, acronym for FAIL. So it's a first attempt in learning. And it's that kind of, don't think of it as failure. Think of it as you've learned something from that. You know, if you go off and you move to Miami and you show up and you can't find a job and, you know, you, you have no prospects and actually you have to move back, back to Nebraska and you don't even have money for gas. So you've got to get a waitressing job in order to, you know, pay for the gas to get back. You, you're learning resilience. You're learning and you're learning to be resourceful. And there's so much that you will actually learn from whatever experience it is, however good, however bad it is. And I imagine you can, Ali, I imagine you'll say the same thing about the relationship as well that you had is you learned what you didn't want. You learned about yourself. You learned how to actually stand up for yourself and that you can walk away from something and you, you're able to become empowered and moved into this coaching space. And actually your entire life took a very different turn because of the relationship that you had. 
Yeah, that, exactly. And I would say that be, between him and, and my current husband, there were a few, you know, few people, a few men I met that taught me something, even though it didn't last it long. Mm. Um, and it was a heartbreak learning how to have a heartbreak. Yeah. But they, but each of them taught me something about me, about, you know, as you said, it's like learning what I truly deserve, like what you start seeing what you truly deserve. And when I say deserve, it's like people, everyone is so beautiful, but you just have to find your value and not allow anything or anybody devalued you. And so even though things may not work out with that one person or even a friendship is because they, they didn't deserve you in the sense that they didn't value the way that you should be valued. Mm. So it's, it's something that I learned throughout and obviously through, through my whole uh, women empowerment coaching certification, but I just, I went through that journey and seeing that value and understanding it a little bit more. Yeah. Well, we are coming to the place where I have to ask you our two final questions for the podcast. So the first is podcast is called The Undiscovered You. So along this journey, um, what have you discovered about yourself? I discovered that I have that the moment I am decisive, I can do a lot more with my life. Sometimes I still, you know, don't allow myself to make that move. But just the fact that I reminded myself that I, that I make a huge, and that I made a huge shift from Nebraska to Florida and um, making a decision to finish, to ending a relationship that didn't no longer serve me. It just showed a lot of my strength Mm. and my confidence that I do have that within me. And so I just feel that sometimes I just have to be reminded of that, just that journey of that I've, what I've gone through that, you know, no matter what, I can keep growing within myself and I have that strength. I think the, the main word that comes up to me is strength mm. and having the courage. And I, lo- I love the fact, I think that's something really, really important for listeners to take away as well is look back at something you've done because everyone has had that moment of strength. Everyone's had that moment of courage and just keep looking back and saying, I've done it before. I can do it again. You know, just draw from that. I love that. And a uh, final question. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Making a decision. And <laughs> Make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly, um, it's funny because uh, one of the one of the learnings that Bob Proctor left uh, with me was was making that decision. Um, oftentimes, I've seen uh, I, I'm very analytical person. I'm more of the of the kind of person that will do research and will do research for. And it, it was funny. I was just it was projecting towards me, but I will be doing research and will take a long time for projects and making a decision to just take that next step. So, so when he said that, it's like, just make that decision. And that's what I did with my coaching. The moment that he, or not him, but his material that I was studying, he, um, it was like, just make a decision and make it quickly. Because when you start being undecisive, that's when you will, you will not take action. But the moment mm-hmm. that you make a decision, that's when you will start taking action. And that's what I did with my coaching around five years ago that I decided I'm going to start working as a consultant for Proctor Gallagher Institute, even though women empowerment coaching, that's, but it was just a stepping stone to get into the coaching space. And, you know, I, I wasn't graduated yet, but I figure 
I'll just do this because I've been doing this for so long as a fitness instructor and personal trainer and all this that I just need to do what I'm passionate about instead of just thinking of, oh, yes, someday I'll, I'll love to just start coaching people. Right. So, yeah. so I think that that was that was the biggest learning. And I think I think. Yeah, go on. Sorry. No, best advice. <laughs> yeah, best advice. And I think um, what's really interesting is I found a lot of my clients when they're approaching 40 or they're approaching 50, not so much 30, but when they're approaching 40 or they're approaching 50, it's almost like they feel like this is the time to make the shift because I don't have as much time left in my career. And I always find it really interesting when people have that courage to go and step out a lot of times it's because they've had that mental shift that they say, actually, I want to acknowledge the fact that I don't like what I'm doing. I want to do something else and I actually have to proactively do something or I have to proactively not do something and stay where I am. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like seeing, seeing it very clearly in front of you that you have two options or three options or 120 options, but seeing very clearly that you have options and then deciding which road you want to go down. And I think that, that a lot of times you have to hit a catalyst in order to do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think just for all of our listeners, what would courage have you do? That's the one thing I'm, I'm absolutely going to take away from this. What would courage have you do? Ali, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Through LinkedIn. They can find me at a Ali coach. Alley coach on LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I know I've learned a lot and I'm sure my listeners will as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. I just want to give a big thank you to Allie for sharing your story with us today. This is our last episode in the season playing the hand you were dealt. Please join us next season when we speak all about the dream catchers people who have followed their dreams and how they got there and how they're doing now. If you'd like to have an executive coach, please get in touch at the undiscovered you podcast at gmail.com or you can check out my website kljconsulting.co.uk. I hope you enjoyed this season as much as I did and I hope you're one step closer to discovering the undiscovered you. Mm -hmm.